This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 221 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy? Yes, honey. I want to say a big thank you to you for being my wife. What'd you do that for? What? <laughs> what did I make you start crying for? I don't know. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I didn't know I was going to upset you. Thank you for being my hubby, honey. <laughs> goodness. <laughs> all right. So, obviously, we want to say a big thank you to all of our men and women of the military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you, guys and gals and dogs, for everything you do. <laughs> and thank you... Especially to all the people on the front line fighting with the COVID and all the truck drivers that are still uh, getting food out to everybody and keeping stuff going. That's There's shortages all over the place, so we appreciate you guys keeping it to a minimum. Yes, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you guys for watching over us. We keep praying for you guys every day. Hopefully it'll get to slow down a little bit. And uh, we love you. Absolutely. And obviously... If uh, you're struggling out there from the a mental health standpoint, depression setting in, I keep seeing all these different reports everywhere of, you know, suicides are up 600% uh, in some places. And then, then you've got cases of domestic violence and overdoses or mm-hmm. two to 300% where they normally are. So we know people are struggling out there. We see it a lot in the group. I know we just a day or two ago, there were two or three people that really needed help because they were mm-hmm. feeling suicidal. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll get one of those a month or one every two months, and we had two or three of them in a day. Yeah. So that just shows. It's very heartbreaking. That. But anyways, you know, if you need help, please lean on the group. I know when every one of those situations turned out way better because the, the people flooded them with messages. And, you know, I, I'm just glad to, to see that. I'm glad that that. We've got a group we can be so proud of that actually serves a function. Me too. On Facebook. And that's the greatest thing. And we love you guys so much. You're just awesome. So obviously you can contact us if you need to. I know Tracy gave out our phone number again mm-hmm. the other day on there. Uh, readily available. Absolutely. Right on our website. So if you need yeah. a phone Anytime, number. Anytime, guys. Please don't hesitate to call. Um, and also, you know, if you would rather go a different route, um, you can call the suicide hotline at 800-273-8255 and you can also text them at 741-741 you guys are not alone we love you you know i know i mean i have depressing days myself but you know what i did i went to the store and bought some christmas stuff and that made me happy so 
And it made me mad because it's Halloween and she's buying Christmas. I know, but she, it just she's, made me she's happy. She's one of those people. <laughs> So anyway, we love you guys. And like I said, we're always here for you anytime, day or night. Please just don't hesitate. And uh, as usual, the episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. They have seven flavors. You know, I was, this is funny. I was uh, having lunch with a friend the other day and they came over to our house and was picking up some stuff and they said, hey, you're getting hot sauce. And I immediately went into commercial mode. (laughs) I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, we got some El Yucateco uh, in the fridge right there, and he's like, oh, okay, cool. And he's like, I've had him try that. Oh yeah, it comes in seven different flavors. It's five of them are habanero base, and <laughs> uh, you can get it all your major. I mean, he's like, what are you doing a commercial? And I'm like, I can't help it. I just that's right. I say it so much, and it's something we believe in. So exactly right. But I say it so much, I get you know used to it. But they are hashtag king of flavors. Yes. Seven different flavors, five of which are habanero based, and they have a chipotle and they have a jalapeno base. Yes. The jalapeno is the lowest on this Scoville scale. So if mm-hmm. you don't like hot and you like jalapeno flavor, that's it. But none of them are really hot. Oh, yeah. No. So. I actually had it this week, and we made some buffalo chicken dip, which, oh, my God, I love. But technically, it wouldn't buffalo chicken dip because it wouldn't buffalo sauce. Well, that's true. I just a habit of saying that. Yeah. But it was so good, and we used that. And yeah, we man, used the red. We did. It was so good. Oh, I could, Lord, I could eat a ton of that stuff. It's just so dang good. I think we did. There wasn't much of it left. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I think Coda and I made a bunch of it. But, man, try it on that. You won't be sorry. It's really good. But you can get it at most of your major grocers, including Target and Kroger. Mm-hmm. If you don't see it, ask them to start carrying it. And if not, you can always go to com and pick you up some there. Yeah. They Do have it. The, they even have the little, like, disposable clip-ons. Like, you know, like, people have been getting with the... Uh, uh, what do you call it? The antibacterial. Oh hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hand sanitizer and stuff like you'll get the little clip-ons. They have the little clip-ons of the hot sauce, so you can just always, if you go to a, you totally your line. No, and so if you that way you can just carry it with you. So if you're <gasps> one of these people that like hot sauce and you go to a restaurant, you've got your own hot sauce with you. Look how smart that was. That is, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that yet. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very, very cool. All right, Tracy. So we have done. A very long episode on Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And I, I admitted way back then when we did that, that I was not all that fascinated with Gettysburg until I started doing the research for that particular episode. And I'm telling you now, mm-hmm. I can't get enough of these battlefields. Now, the funny thing about that is I am not a big Civil War history buff. It's just the war itself is not that fascinating to me. I mean, I'm not a war guy, period. So it doesn't matter if it's World War One, World War Two, or any of that stuff. I just, I'm not a war guy. So that just, you know. Yeah, I mean, me. I understand that. But they are still very fascinating, I think, to know what all those people went through back in the day. Yeah, it is. And um, But now, though, the, the episode we actually did on Gettysburg, even though it took me forever to do it, and I only did it because people were like, when are you go do Gettysburg? When yeah, of course. So I did it. And then it's like when I started researching mm-hmm. the ghost stories of it. Yeah, and then it got I, interesting. I was so fascinated. And that actually is one of my probably top 10 favorite shows that we've done. Well, good. Anyways, since then, I've been fascinated by Civil War hauntings. Not the words up, but the hauntings. And the Gettysburg episode, um, like I said, it turned out to be one of my favorites. So I, I've been wanting to do some more. And we, I've been looking up some haunted battlefields. And we're going to do that. In the future, and we'll probably include uh, uh, 
Perryville Battlefield, which is like an hour and 15 minutes from us. So it's not that far That's, from oh, us. Oh, wow. But, but I want to kind of go there first. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a special guest that I may end up bringing on that's got some cool stories that grew up there. Nice. In so I'm going to try to get all that together. But there we go. So today, though, I wanted to share some cool stories that have somewhat of a Civil War connection. Mm-hmm. But that they're not the, your typical, you know, what you would think when I say Civil War. But there is a connection, and you'll see what I mean by each okay. one. So the first one we're going to talk about is the Beauregard Kai's House, and that's in New Orleans. So today, it's a very well-known museum, but back in the day, it was the residence of a bunch of different famous people. Primarily, the two most famous were the ones that it is named after. And so I know I'm going to interrupt you right here. But I meant to say, uh, to, to let people know that we're really praying for you guys there in Louisiana. And, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I just, I, I'm sorry. I can't understand how you guys just keep getting hit over and over again. Yeah, it's two strong ones. Back yeah, to back. back to back. But our prayers are with you guys so much. And, you know, I, I know you guys have to be strong people to, you know, hang in there like that. But I meant to mention that at the beginning. But so I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I wanted to make sure that. We got that out there. That's okay. The Beauregard Kai's house is in the French Quarter, and it's got a very long, colorful history. It was originally built in 1820, and General Pierre Gustave Toutant Beauregard. Whoo, that's a big old name. And his family had lived in the home for uh, a short stint, and then they moved back into the home shortly after the Civil War ended. Also famous novelist Francis Parkinson Kai's lived here at, at a later time, thus the name of the home being the Beauregard Kai's house. Okay. So it came after those two people. So the stories that we're going to speak of tonight will be centered around mostly, at least at the beginning, General Beauregard. So General Beauregard was a member of a very prominent family right there in the New Orleans area. He was forced to retire after the Civil War due to an illness, and he settled into the Beauregard Kai's home. This guy was very well decorated, as times go. He graduated from West Point Academy in 1838. He fought in the Mexican War and was in command of the Confederate forces that attacked Fort Sumter in 1861. In 1862, he led his troops into the Battle of Shiloh in Tennessee. Now, the Battle of Shiloh saw 23,000 men die over two days. Two days? 13,000 from the Union side, 10,000 from the Confederate oh, side. Oh, my gosh. It was one of the bloodiest battles in the Civil War. That's awful. The emotional scars of the battle were left on basically every soldier that made it out and apparently on several who did not make it out. So we've heard people visiting some of these like old Civil War battlefields and stuff, and they see these ghostly reenactments happen right before their eyes, sometimes thinking that these are like reenactors mm-hmm. that are actually out there uh, creating the scene only to see that the armies eventually just fade away right in front of them. Wow. That is, I mean, can you imagine seeing something like that? Oh, I could. That would be cool. But that's what makes this story so unique. So several visitors have said that you can see such a battle indoors at the Beauregard Kai's house. The home, before it was a museum, was a thriving inn, and guides would dress in like period-type costumes and entertain the guests. But sometimes, strange things would sometimes happen at approximately 2 a.m. in the ballroom. The whole area would develop, and 
otherworldly feel, we will say. All the beautiful furniture would kind of just fade away and be replaced by vast open spaces. So it's like you weren't even in the ballroom anymore. <laughs> now it looked like even though you were in the ballroom, you were actually on a battlefield. General Beauregard would enter from the ballroom's double doors upon a beautiful, huge white horse. Then all the soldiers would appear and be eager and all full of energy. But just like at the Battle of Shiloh, the Confederate soldiers eventually start to show some signs of deterioration and fatigue. Arms and legs that were in great shape just a little bit of time ago now started to appear broken or mangled. Some of the soldiers no longer had actual faces, just skulls with hollow eyes for sockets. Then there's the smell, the smell of rotting flesh throughout the entire ballroom. The sounds of moaning and groaning and screams can be heard and echoing all throughout every section of the room. Mm. Then after several hours of daylight hits and all the soldiers just suddenly vanish. And then the ballroom is back intact. That's, that's incredible. People that are really particular sensitive, uh, they, they can come here and they tend to be overcome by the feeling of confusion, dread, and depression. This is takes place actually in the hallway and in the ballroom itself. So all, all the stuff leading there, people have still have that same feeling. Most feel that these feelings are coming from the uh, ghostly soldiers that are taking place in this night after night if it's you know not everybody sees it but they they kind of feel like that maybe this goes on night after night whether mm -hmm. whether you see it or not just some nights are a little more energy to where it's visible to people does that make sense yes one time director of the Beauregard Kai's house said that she had never experienced this in in her time there but she definitely had her share of creepy things happen she said that the house was creepy nonetheless. Whether there was ghosts, no ghosts, she couldn't say. But she said that there have been times where she felt so strange and the creep factor was so high that she ended up locking up and rushing out quicker than she had intended to. But she didn't know to what that attributed to. Mm -hmm. She did say that there were other instances, though, that involved the ballroom. It said that General Beauregard and his wife, Carolyn, had planned this huge get-together, this big party. And everybody was going to come there and they were all going to celebrate, but General Beauregard was called out of town on business and they never got to have the party. So not tragic, they just didn't get to have the party mm -hmm. they wanted to have. But now they think that years and years after they've died that the Beauregards tend to return and they actually do have their party with all their guests that want oh. to come. And they hear all these noises and stuff coming. At one point... There was a young girl. She rented out the apartment for the night that was right underneath the ballroom. And the next day she was asked, you know, hey, how did you sleep? Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, not very well. The sound of music and furniture moving kept me up all night. And uh, it was then told to her that there was nobody using the ballroom that night and it was locked up. So there should have been no music and nobody moving around furniture. Whoa. So. Well, there you go. So there's some other hauntings that are tied to the Beauregard Kai's house. Uh, some of you might go on a tour up there one day. They give tours. Mm -hmm. And if you do, it's very possible that a cat might come up to you and maybe come up to the tour guide and kind of press up against the tour guide's leg. Uh, that cat is Caroline. 
And if you can't remember that cat's name, just go look at the tombstone underneath the staircase. That's where Caroline has been buried since 1994. <laughs> Under the staircase? Yeah. There's a little headstone there that uh, basically says, Caroline, loyal cat. Aww. And that's where the cat's been born, but the cat keeps showing up. Well, hey, he wasn't done with the sound lives yet. It's not the only, only animal that keeps showing up, and we'll get to that one, though. In the 1980s, one of the uh, directors started keeping a three-ring binder of all the supernatural encounters that showed up at the house. So we're going to talk about a few of them. This will get us into our other animal. This is what it says in the binder. October 1986, ghost dog in Mrs. K's bedroom. Is it lucky? Question mark. This entry... It's about the other namesake of the house, Frances Parkinson Kyes. Now, she moved into the house that was in severe disrepair back in 1944. She moved in from New England, and she started to do immediate renovations on the home and kind of restored it back to its former glory. She even wrote a fictionalized account of the Beauregard family's life in 1962 called Madame Castle's Lodger. She passed away in that house in 1970. Now, she had established the Kai's Foundation that is used today to still keep the museum running. So yeah. she still supplies the money, even though she's been dead for, you know, 50 years almost. Oh, that's so nice. She does not seem to be haunting the house at all because nobody's ever said anything about seeing her. But her Cocker Spaniel Lucky, that's a different story. There's even a little small statue of Lucky on the dresser in the bedroom that uh, Mrs. Kai's passed away in. Now, the story about Lucky is that a few days after Frances Kyes died, Lucky climbed into, up into her bed and died from grief. Aww. Well, there that's is, so sad. There is one instance where an event photographer saw the ghost dog. They said it was near a fireplace in that same bedroom to where he supposedly had passed away. On another occasion, there was a blind woman who uh, was staying in the room, and she said that her seeing eye dog went completely ballistic in that room, which was something it had never done before. Oh, so he saw it, huh? Maybe so. So here's a few more accounts from that three-ring binder that I was telling you about, with all these ghostly different appearances in it. Which, by the way, these experiences are from uh, workmen that have been at the place, tour guides, and from visitors. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag of everybody. So divided by years, which is kind of cool, some are directly written on the pages, and others are copied from some other type of paper and taped on pages. But either way, I guess, I guess it depends on who wrote it and where they got the story from, because some people probably just wrote it and gave it to them at the desk, and they just put it in the binder. July 8, 1992, there was an employee that looked out the kitchen door, and they saw the upper torso of a lady in white walk from the corner and down the stairs. So it was one of those short instances. Most of these are really short. No. She don't got no legs. <laughs> December of 1992, several visitors heard uh, faint but really lively music coming from the ballroom. And, of course, there was nothing going on in the ballroom, so there shouldn't have been anything. But yet they had several people report the sound of these. God, I just one time love to hear something like that. August 25th, 1995, footsteps and heavy dragging sounds were heard in the ballroom, but nothing was seen, just the sound. October 5th, 1995, an employee 
saw the hem of a very long beige dress pass by the parlor and down and down the hallway. This one's from February 18th, 1991. An employee felt someone brush past them in the hallway between the second uh, and third bedroom. They turned around just in time to be able to see a lady's dress appear in the ballroom. It was just a dress appears. Hmm. There's several different cases now, just dresses or hems. Wow. May 21st, 2004, a man went out to water the plants in the courtyard, and he said he saw a lady in white, <laughs> of course, mm-hmm. pass through the courtyard and disappear beneath the steps. Beneath the steps? That's what it says. She's also been spotted by several tour guides oh, in the wow. same location. July 17th, 2010, there was an AT&T tech working in the basement. He saw a man sitting in a chair, just watching him work. The man saw him. He just smiled, and then he just disappeared from the <laughs> chair. He's probably just happy that it wouldn't sprint. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Civil War related, but there's a horrific event from the early 1900s that uh, I was able to tie to the house. In 1904, there was a family of Sicilian immigrants, and they bought the house. They were the... Giacona family. So they used the house to run a liquor business out of. Then, uh, according to the stories I read, they actually even made their own wine there. Well, that's cool. So pretty cool. On the night of June 16th, 1908, the family got a visit from uh, four men from the local mob demanding pretty much protection money. This group was known as the Black Hand. So that was the name of the mob. So even though it was extortion, the head of the family, Petro, decided that, you know what, it's probably in his family's best interest that they're going to continue to business to give in to the demands. And at least that's what he told them. He appeared to go into the house to get some money. Instead, he came out with a rifle. He shot all four men. Three of the four men died right there on the property on the back porch. The other was found a few blocks away pressing a dead chicken to his neck to try to stop the bleeding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, that didn't go as planned. Some claim to hear gunshots now and men screaming and moaning near the back porch of the, of the house where this uh, whole incident and the shooting took place. Uh-huh. Don't be a demander. One paranormal investigator found a large cold spot in the area of the back porch where the incident took place. Others have said that they've seen a stream of blood flowing from the porch. Some have reported seeing guns being waved in the air by unseen hands. So just the guns waving. Did the chicken save his life? I don't think so. And then there was no report about the dead chicken. I tried to find research and find out why the chicken was dead, and I have no idea. I just know he held a dead chicken. I don't know if it was just dead on the side of the road or if he wrung its neck to be able to use it. I don't know. No idea. What a weird thing to pick up. To I mean, what in the world would make you think, oh, here, here's a chicken. Let me just stick it up here on my neck. <laughs> After the massacre, the Giacona uh, family was arrested and tried and eventually found not guilty. Oh, the guy that shot him. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. So, yeah, I guess because of the fact that the guys were trying to extort money from him. I mean, don't get me wrong. You shouldn't never kill somebody. I mean, you just shouldn't do that. No. But I guess that he thought in his mind that's the only way it's just going to stop. Yeah. And I'm surprised. I'd be surprised at what happened. Or I'd like to be able to know what happened. Yeah. After the fact. Because I'm sure 
the rest of the mob had an but, axe to grind. See, that's what I'm thinking. Wonder why they didn't come after him after that. And one of the tour guides on one of the stories I was reading, the tour guide that was actually um, talking to the journalist that was writing some of the stories on it, is like the great granddaughter or the granddaughter of the that family. Oh, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. So you know, I hate to ruin a good story with facts, mm. but and, and I, I'm using the term facts loosely here because. I read somewhere, I don't know if it's true, and I'm leaning toward it not being true, but I wanted to bring it up, because you know how people like to tell us how we're wrong on our facts. True story. So I'm covering all my bases. According to some researchers, the Beauregard family never actually lived in that house. That's what I'm seeing. What if I told you, at the beginning of the story, when I said that they lived there and all this stuff, this this house, by the way, is on uh, uh, Chartres Street in New Orleans. I was told through this one article that General Beauregard and his wife, Caroline, actually lived on Esplanade Avenue, mm -hmm. which was over a little bit. And that's where Caroline died, was on that house in Esplanade Avenue. A year later, in 1865, the general did move onto the property, but not into that house, but in a building that was behind the house. And he lived there for a couple of years and moved on. Now, that's what I'm saying. But... I don't know if you notice or not, the house is named after him. I can't imagine there's a situation to where they're going to name that place the Beauregard Kai's house if he didn't live in that no, house. No, it didn't seem like that would be the case. And, you know, every other article that I've read about this house says that he lived there. Now, how much of the other stuff is true, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But I did want to bring up that there is some stuff saying that he didn't live there, but he did live on the property. So I don't know, but I, most stuff points to he did live there, but I did want to bring that up. As, as always, when there's two sides to the story, I try to bring both up. Oh, yeah. But also, as usual, most of the evidence points that he did live there, mm -hmm. so that's what we want for the story. This next story is a quick, but I found an interesting one, and it, it involves an African-American woman in the Appalachian Mountains in, in the uh, Great Valley in East Tennessee. Her name was Mamie Wise. Cool name. This was not her given name by birth, but it's how everybody in the area knew her. So you see, Mamie was a woman in the area who would concoct spells. So like if you wanted a husband, she was who you went to. Oh. That wasn't voodoo. This was just, she was mountain, mountain folk. Mm -hmm. And there's, everybody knows somebody in the mountain that does these kind of things. Of they course. They herbs or, you know, whatever. If you had a baby that had thrush, you brought her the baby and she would try to cure it. That's just what went on back mm -hmm. then. They didn't have readily available doctors, doctors back yeah. in the yeah. you know, late 1800s. They yeah. just didn't. So not only could you get a husband from her or heal the sick, she could also predict the future. Ooh, so in the that's South, scary. Yeah. In the South, premonitions of the upcoming Civil War were fairly common, believe it or not. Even to people that, you know, it's not like they had the internet and and cable network news and stuff around mm. to be able to get their stuff from right. them. So, I mean, they, it, you know, they read what they had in the papers and that was it. So there was a long tradition of people who possessed what they called the gift back then. You know, people who could heal the sick and work up spells and see visions and stuff. Now, back in the 1930s, the federal government hired a bunch of young people to gather oral history and local folklore from people who could still remember the Civil War. Because in the 30s, there were still people who remembered the Civil War yes. and it in the 1860s. So they would have still been older, like Mamie was. Because 
most people said that they weren't even sure how old Mamie really was. No kidding. They just know that decade after decade, she was still there. And think about this. This is the 30s. If the war ended in the 1860s, late 1860s, 65, I think. So you're looking at 75, 85, 95, 1905, 1915, 1925. That's 60 years just to get to the 20s. Mm -hmm. She would have had to been, you know making predictions about the Civil War, she would have had to been in her 20s. This would have put her probably late 80s, early 90s yeah, definitely. at this time. So anyways, they send this young lady up there by the name of Julia to talk to her, find out what she needed to know. Mamie obviously was one of these people who had a wealth of knowledge. So Julia was able to spend a lot of time with her, getting as much information as she could. She would often be seen sitting out on her porch, just kind of sitting in a rocking chair, smoking a corncob pipe. <laughs> That's what Mamie did. She was a larger woman, really thick, snowy white hair. Her skin was like leather, and that was the result of years and years of working out in the fields in the right. hot sun. Mm -hmm. So why did the government want to talk to Mamie Wise? You see, when she was a young woman, she had a dream, and the dream involved a shooting star from the north and a shooting star from the south that went across the heavenly skies and they just kind of crashed into each other yeah so with that being said she knew what this dream meant and she told every politician in the area that she could that there was soon going to be a big war between the north and the south her exact words were trouble are a brewing betwixt the north end of america and the south end of america people knew in the valley that when mamie's dreams were told to them that they should heed and listen yeah. because most of the time they came true. But the politicians didn't take it that seriously. And I don't know that it would have mattered if they had. I mean, you what know? are they going to do to yeah. stop it? So the war, of course, came, and just as she predicted it, she always felt bad about it, though. And after that, she said that she was always right careful about what she dreamed about. Oh, well, how, how do you control what you dream about? I don't know. Hmm. So the last one we're going to talk about tonight is another little short short story. It's about the jingling hoe. Ooh, the jingling hoe. <laughs> so here's the thing about the Civil War. Big that, booty hoe. That is nowhere Sorry. near what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're going to talk about as far as the Civil War that's rarely discussed. Now, most people think it's so simple that it's, okay, it's just the North against the South. Wouldn't the case at all. That was mostly the case, but not everybody had the same thought. Just because you were from the South meant you agreed with the South. Just like just because you were from the North meant you agreed with the North. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, you had a lot of the abolitionists up North that uh, they had to fight a lot of people in their own backyard that felt like that. Hey, you need to leave those people alone. Yeah, you know, just you know, just because you feel this way, just like now, you know. A lot of times we'll go to war with another country and you'll have people here saying, well, I mean, why are we going to war with Iran? Why are we going to war with Iraq? You know, this and that. Yeah. It was the same way. Mm -hmm. This war was no different. And, and in the South, you had the exact same thing. You had people who were all for slavery and you had people who weren't for slavery. Now, there's a part of the country down there in East Tennessee, right as it butts up into North Carolina, to where slavery wasn't really a big issue down there anyway. There wasn't a lot of slave owners in that area. So it's just mountain people. So they still had people who wanted to pick a side, though. So you had guerrillas, 
who fought basically for one side, even though this wasn't the North and the South. It wasn't the Confederate and the Union. Yet people who still, they they like to pick up a gun to solve most of the problems. So any reason they could find to fight, they were going to fight. And so you had guerrillas who had their one belief and you had bushwhackers who were on the other side. So they were just having their own little civil war done. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening there is they had this hole in the Smoky Mountains. It was a pit, we'll call it. A pit? A pit. It had water. It was very deep. It had water at the bottom of it. And what they would do is when they would capture one or the other, they both used it. So Okay, so they can fight with each other, but they're going to use the same pit. Well, they didn't use it at the same time. So the bottom line was if, say, the gorillas went out and captured one of the bushwhackers, they would take them to the hole, the pit. And they had an iron rod that would go across the top of the pit. And it was just wide enough so you could grip on and hold on to a good with mm-hmm. your hand. So it was the perfect, just like, you know, a weight bar or something like yeah. that you're using to lift weights with. So this thing would stretch across the hole. It was strong enough to hold a man's weight and perfect holding conditions. So they would capture somebody and they would make them hold onto that bar over top of the pit. Oh. And they would just sit there and they would make jokes about them and they would laugh at them and insult them at the same time this person is trying their damnedest just to hold on and now yeah. their arms are getting tired well this is what they did and eventually the people would fall in i wouldn't even be there two seconds i'd have <laughs> been in the hole well what ended up happening is over a period of time uh, people started getting bored they get tired just sitting there and waiting for somebody to let go so what they would do was they would take their boots and their heels and they would stomp on their hands while they were holding the bar. While they did this, because they would reach over. I was going to say, how do they do that? Well, it's, it's not that big of a pit. I mean, it might be the size of a room or something, but it was big enough where they could reach over with their foot, and they would stomp on one foot, they would stomp on one hand, and then stomp on the other hand. Well, what would happen is when they would do this, the spurs from their boots would jingle, thus the term the jingling hole. So that's how they came up with the name. And eventually, in some cases, when they got tired of stomping on your hands, if they got bored with it and you were still holding on, sometimes they'd let you go. But more times than not, the person would fall down and sometimes the water would soften their blow just enough where they didn't die on impact. But they eventually would get tired and hungry and end up drowning anyway. Hmm. So that's that mean. is what they called the jingling hole. So anyways... Now they say that if you go out there at nighttime, especially during a moon, that you can hear somebody screaming. You can hear moans, groans. You can hear water splashing around. And more importantly, you can hear the high-pitched sound of the jingling of the spurs. So that's the story of the jingling hole. So three I don't even think I've ever heard of the jingling hole. I told you I was doing lesser-known stories tonight. Did you ever hear of Mamie Wise before today? Well, no. Well, there you go. Okay. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. That's the story. Very cool. So, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor, and then we've got updates on the book and Patreon and iTunes and you name it, and we got a bunch of stuff going on. And we have an interview at the end of the night show with last week, we, we brought up that we listened to the Occult and Crime Academy all the way home 
from the trip from Gatlinburg mm-hmm. and actually caught up with John and Jessica and did a little interview with them. We were so impressed with them. Yeah, and, good. Uh, they were willing to come on the show. So they're actually going to do a little bit of their stuff for us awesome. at the end of the night. So stick around for that. All right, Tracy. So as we stand tomorrow, I'm supposed to have the finished copy of my book in hand so I can do everything I need to on a computer. And then when it's all said and done, uh, I should within a couple of days know exactly what we're looking at as far as uh, when the book will be published and when I'll have copies and when you can pre-order and all that. Well, good, honey. I'm so, so happy what, for that's you. What we're looking at. I do know for a fact that we are going to have three book signings as soon as I'm able to get books in hand. So hopefully by the end of this month, uh, I'll have them at the Bobby Mackey's show. So if you come for that, but also we are going to do a book signing in Louisville, a book signing in Lexington and one in Cincinnati. So I'll give you details on that once, oh, very once cool. we get it set up. Don't be getting fancy on me now. <laughs> well, just because we're having a book signing doesn't mean anybody's going to show up. Well, you know. <laughs> so anyways, with that being said, um, I'm excited about it and we got that going for us. What do you have as far as iTunes reviews? This week we have Amber Radcliffe, Neezer413, B. Hayden73, <laughs> and BKBW53. All up in the threes. Nice. I know. Thank you guys for your very, very kind um, review. It was so nice. We appreciate them so much. And please, 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 if you can go and leave a review. And we're not going to be like some shows and beg you for a five-star review. No, not at all. Whatever review you give us is is a review. That's right. But it does help us tremendously as far as getting seen out there. Because that's kind of the way the iTunes rankings work and all that. A lot of that is based on reviews. So if you would like to be able to help us out. That is a free way you can do it, and uh, you we guys, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, you guys have been so wonderful through all of this, and we just appreciate y'all so much. And our Patreon is Eldolfo Solis. I hope I said that right, sweetheart. Thank you for your uh, support. We appreciate it more than you know, and uh, we just love you guys. We look forward to hearing from y'all all through the week. All right, so let's listen uh, real quick. To John and Jessica from the Occult and Crime Academy. You guys are going to love this. And please remember, if you need shirts and stuff, we have our new store up. Just go to And you can check out all these podcasts. Theirs is up there with a link to their website. Mm -hmm. And you can also go to our store and see all of our new stuff, including face mask. Thanks. So, all right, let's listen to John and Jess. Hey guys, we got some special guests. We were talking on the on the last episode about on our way back from Tennessee. We spent a bunch of our time listening to a a newer podcast, at least newer to us, and it was the Occult and Crime Academy. And we like it because it's a mixture of true crime. It's a mixture of, of paranormal, just kind of unexplained stuff. And we actually loved it. I know uh, we listened. Uh, to the Bloody Benders, which is a story we were fairly familiar with, but I love their take on it and uh, try to mix a little paranormal in there. Obviously, we, we listened to the Montana State Prison. I thought that was a cool story. I, love, I have a, a prison fetish when it comes to these kind of paranormal stories, but I think I, I liked, you know, the Crescent Hotel has been was the favorite out of all of them that we listened to. And, you know, we've covered some of these stories and it's not like there's only one take on them. So that I always like to hear uh, the different takes on it. So I guess without further ado, I should go ahead and welcome uh, John and Jessica to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, guys. Oh, no problem. Thank you Thank for you. having us. So yes. let me ask you this. 
What got you guys thinking, you know what, I want to start a podcast, and how did you settle on the format uh, that you use as far as the true crime and the paranormal mix? It's actually quite funny because we were remodeling our bathroom and we're like, hey, we can do this too and get our, like you said, a different take on, you know, a story. Everybody has their, their own way of looking at things. So we figured we could do that and it might be, you know, interesting and fun to put that out there for people to listen to. And and I've always been into, well, Jess knows, I've been into, you know, creating my own music. I'm a guitarist, I'm a singer, you know, that kind of stuff. I fool around with it. And we were, we were, we were in the bathroom remodeling, and I looked at her and we were just joking around about it. And I just happened to turn around and said, no, I'm being serious. And she goes, yeah, I would like to. Well, I went upstairs and... In two weeks, she had everything. <laughs> and here we are today. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because this is a lot of uh, the, the main dilemma that new podcasters have when they come to me and say, hey, we want to start. Their first question is about recording and sound. You obviously, John, are, are you know in the music. You've probably, I would, I would su- probably guess that you had most, if not all, the equipment that you needed to start up with. Um, for the most part, yes, but I didn't have the platform and I didn't have the interface. I've been wanting it for years. It's just, I never kind of knew how to do it. And, um, I, I talked to a few people and they say, yeah, you can just run it through your computer. And I was like, oh, okay, well. And then I got my interface, and here we sit today. <laughs> well, I don't want to take up a, a lot of the time that we have just uh, uh, taken away from what you guys could be doing. You guys have worked up a little something to kind of give our listeners a taste of what they're going to get if they turn in or tune into your podcast, I should say. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you two and let you do what you do best. All right. Today, we went over to Casper, Wyoming. We're going to do the Haunted Ivy House Inn. Nice. The Ivy House Inn is located where the prairie meets the Rocky Mountains. It's uh, at 815 South Ash Street, and it was built in 1916 by the White family. Not sure how old Mr. White was when he died, but Mrs. White died in 1995 at the age of 93. Mrs. White, she was kind of known to be cranky and a controlling woman when she was alive. And supposedly, she's the same way in the afterlife. She reportedly haunts the house in area as far as if anyone tries to smoke or drink in quote unquote her home. She actually like lifts objects into the air. She'll move things from room to room and just ultimately terrifying anyone who kind of defies her rules or her way of thinking. There was a man named Tom Johnson who did not believe whatsoever in ghosts. He found a lot about the former owners when him and his wife Kathy bought the house and turned it into the Ivy House Inn in 1996. Now he is a believer. The incident that probably made him a believer was the one they were doing when they were renovating on the house to convert it to that inn. He was using a power drill. Suddenly, it just stopped working. When he turned around to see why it stopped working, the cord to the drill was hanging in midair for several seconds before it fell to the ground. 
There was also another incident in that same room when a hammer just got up and walked out on its own. I, I would be the one to walk out too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I would beat it out of the room. Yeah. An apparition of a man is seen in the parking lot and he likes to set off the car alarms. There's also random smells of menthol cold medicine and baking chocolate as you walk around the inn. Guests who stay here overnight report a pair of Siamese cats who come into your room and sleep on the end of the bed. There's no cats at the hotel, at the inn. When people describe these cats, they are exactly to the T of the same Siamese cats that Mrs. White had. So these are ghost cats? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes there's also a man who's seen floating above the beds when you're laying in them trying to go to sleep. And he'll look down at you and just say, isn't it funny how people get lost? Nope, 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 nope. The couple who bought the house, they're both actually now paranormal investigators. The house was actually put up for sale in 2007 and then took off the market in 2008. Today, it has been turned into the Turning Point Self-Help Center. It's traditionally housing for victims of domestic violence of all sorts of age, races, genders, religious affiliations, anything like that. Even to this day, residents and staff still continue to experience strange happenings. And they say that Mr. and Mrs. White, along with her cats, are still attached to the house. Interesting. Yes, it is. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff I was reading about the turning point that they do. It's interesting. That's the story of the Ivy House Inn. Let me ask you this, because that's a cool story. I'll start with you, John. What is the favorite episode you guys have done already to this point? Can I say all of them? <laughs> well, it's it's hard to pick. It's because I, I know when you put the effort into these things, it's like your kids. It's hard to pick a favorite, and you probably have several. But if you had one that, let's put it this way. What about when you started, what was like your first choice of, we have to do an episode on this? Our first one was, um, what was that, Adam? Oh, yeah. We were going to do the Adam Walsh one, but I want to wait and I want to make sure it's done right before we release that one. So Yeah, that, that one's almost like a that redo. That was like our first one. <laughs> Uh, we're we're still working on that one as of today, but the Richardson one I think stuck with us. Yeah, that was the that the was the first episode you guys did. It had it was like two parts, right? Yes. Yeah, because that one yes. is kind of long for, for us to. I think on our first episode to do. Well, if you're gonna go, you know, let's go big or go home, right? <laughs> true. Yes. True. This is what true. episode that you did. Were you the most surprised by? Because I know you know a lot of times you have the gist of a story that that piques your interest. Then you do all the research. Is there one that stands out for either one of you that just was like, oh, it was so much more than we even thought it was going to be? You know, looking at stats and. Being in this kind of, I guess you could say business. The Richardson murder one is catching us by surprise. And so is Manhattan State Prison, too. Montana. Montana, Manhattan. Montana, yes. Yeah, that's a cool place. I know that out of the episodes that you guys done, I think the one that probably is the most surprising is when you do the, the Andre Rand story, which obviously was the uh, Cropsy. That was one, mm-hmm. you know, when we covered that back... And one of our Patreon episodes is actually one of the first ones we did. That story is just absolutely amazing to me. The whole the whole thought of Geraldo doing this expose, it gets the, the mental institution shut down and then just turn people loose. And then there's some of these ex-members that have never been in society before that are patients released now and are living in the woods. And then you've got these little kids that end up missing. And you've got the urban legend mm-hmm. of, you know, oh, don't go out around there because there's an escaped patient that's, 
you know, snatching up kids. And in reality, it almost, it became true. You know, the urban legend became true because you did have, you know, I think if I remember correctly, he worked there, didn't, he wasn't a patient, but he worked there. And, and, you yeah. know, then in all these three, four, five, six kids end up missing and they start tracking it down to where, you know, what it was it they say, they say about uh, life imitates art or, uh, art you know, whatever they say. And it's kind of mm-hmm. what happened. You know, the story was out there to scare kids, but in reality it came true. Yeah. And it's funny on that one. Cause we were just going to go for more of like an urban legends, like what is it, where'd they come from, how'd they start kind of thing. And then I saw that. And I'm like, well, let's do that one. And it just like blew. I was like, this is interesting. I'm like, and I just kept going from there on that one. That one was our, like interesting for me to research. How do you guys go about picking the uh, the topics for the episodes you get? Jess, Jess is more into, you know, the murdery the stuff, murdery stuff <laughs> the crime stuff. I'm more into a little bit of paranormal, but more of the, um, the, et kind of stuff yeah. you know so a- any of our episodes that that have to pertain to that i generally write them and research them and you know i i generally do them and should do the other ones mm-hmm. i think you guys have a really good thing going uh, i'm interested to see what the future holds for you i love the sound quality i love just the the way that it's put together of course you guys have great chemistry together but <laughs> I, overall man i think i think you got something that a lot of people are going to hear that's why i wanted to have you on the show to kind of expose you to some of our listeners they're always looking for a new paranormal or a new true crime podcast this gives you the best of both worlds so i can't wait to see what you guys do in the future moving forward all right yeah i Generally appreciate you having us on your show. Yeah, very much so. It's no problem whatsoever. Glad to be able to help. So, all right, guys, tell everybody how they can keep up with your show, how they can find you and uh, and on social media. Well, we're on Facebook at the Occult and Crime Academy podcast group. We have our website, the occultandcrimeacademy.com, and pretty much you can go from there to find us. Everything comes back to us pretty much from the website. So Awesome. Well, guys... I wish you continued success in the future and looking uh, looking forward to talking to you again, maybe at a later date. Maybe you can share some more stories with us. That sounds wonderful. All right, guys. Occult and Crime Academy. Check them out. And we posted links to the show on all of our social media. So if you want to remember, just go to our Instagram or our Facebook pages or Twitter, and uh, you'll see the logo on the link right there. All right, Tracy, they are so much fun. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I had a blast. I got to talk to them probably... 30 minutes or so after we got mm-hmm. through recording and so they're fantastic people so everybody go subscribe to their show i think you'll like it if you heard heard that little bit there that's exactly the way their show is lots of cool stuff like i said if you like true crime and if you like obviously the paranormal stuff so they got a little bit of everything tracy bobby Mackey's coming up oh two gosh, weeks i know how exciting is that we got about 10 tickets left mm-hmm. so if you want to buy your tickets go ahead and snag them up and like i said hopefully i'll have copies of the book there all goals as well and uh, we'll have fun. Well, that sounds great. I'm ready. I'm trying to get some of the guys from Lexington and Paranormal Research Society to come down. Oh, that'd so, be awesome. Yeah, I think Lee Jacobs, who actually wrote the foreword in the book. Oh, no. Uh, may be coming down. So we're going to try Good. to see. So we'll see. Perfect. All right, guys. Thank you so much. You guys have a blessed, blessed week. We love you all so very much. And thank you for your support again.